if you like betting on golf. But everyone that you back misses the cut, get some experts involved. With all the stats and the tips and so much more, cause it's the golf betting system, the golf betting system, it's the golf betting system. Greetings and welcome to the Golf Bank System Podcast 139. This is our 2020 Masters In-Depth Research Preview. Paul Williams and Barry O'Hanrahan join me, Steve Bamford, to discuss the most highly anticipated major of this year and every year, the Masters. Hi gentlemen, how are we? Afternoon guys. Ah Paul, come on, we need to do a better start than that. Sorry. Good afternoon everyone. Afternoon guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Masters, come on. I know it's the yeah, no, that's a, I know it's not Joe, Masters it's, it's, week, but you know, come on. It's it's thrown me doing a podcast in the afternoon. It's like the graveyard shift, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Every, everything's upside down this year, you know, like Masters in November and podcasts in the afternoon. I mean what next? We might actually pick a winner. Like, come on, pick a winner. What, yeah. what you don't understand with Paul is he's awake by five a.m. working. He packs up by about four p.m. and he's in bed by seven p.m. <laughs> That's on a good day. Exactly. <laughs> so this this is late in the day, and he hasn't had any alcohol yet. <laughs> you sure about that? Yeah, true. Uh, this podcast is for listeners of eighteen and above. Please be gambler aware. You can visit begambleraware.org for more information, and of course. Please bet responsibly. Visit our world-famous golf betting system website with our in-depth betting previews. The um, the preview that we're going to go through, or I'm going to talk through today, is available right now at Golf Betting System. We're going to have masses of Masters tournament stats and, of course, our predictor model, all available completely free of charge with no paywall. Please subscribe to this podcast and drive the popularity of the show. We are available on social media. Barry, what's your Twitter handle? Hmm? Oh yeah, that a good talk spoiled. I, I I always mean to tweet more, but I don't. It's uh, it's weird. I like reading, but I don't. The posting feels like a too, a bit too much of a stretch sometimes. Paul, what's your Twitter handle? Mine is at golf betting, which is available for purchase if any of you are feeling particularly. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not really at golf betting. I swear, I swear, I'm more excited than this. <laughs> and mine is at Bamford Golf. I thought I'd just sort of mix things up, gentlemen, just to keep you on your toes. You can join our golf betting system Facebook group. The link is available in the description box. And as ever, I'm on the request for Apple Podcast reviews. We want some five star reviews. Clearly, if you get them written in the very near future. I will be able to read them out. Read them out for Tuesday's Masters podcast, who's going to, which is going to be our biggest downloaded show of the year. I've got one here from a friend of the podcast, chaps. It's Hans Geevers via Apple Podcasts. He lives in the United States of America, I believe. Hans actually lives in Florida. Um, the title of the review is Best, "Best Betting DFS Golf Podcast." He's given us five stars. I have been listening to this podcast and Steve's YouTube show every week for over three years. Poor bugger. That's all I can say. Uh, without a doubt, Steve, Paul, and Barry are the sharpest in the industry when it comes to breaking down the PGA Tour and European tours. It's a great podcast. Hands, thank you very, very, very much for your five-star review 
And uh, as I said, if you could add to Hans's review in the next couple of days, I will read them out at the start of our Masters podcast on Tuesday. Yes, th- th- thanks Hans. And um, Hans is one of those um, people who's very interactive with us on yeah. on social media as well, and it's always appreciated. Yeah, it's, it's great to get feedback and questions and uh, and some, some good interactions, so that's very much appreciated too. Talking of another podcast follower, we, uh, we got in... Co- well, Billy G wrote us... Um, a review a couple of weeks ago and I said on the podcast I'd keep in touch with Billy because he lives in Georgia. So he's been constantly sending me DMs on Twitter giving me weather updates. So we can go into that in a short while because clearly we have, and this is this is a fantastic segue, we're jumping from Billy G straight into our Masters Research podcast by saying it's in November and all of the talk is about how the golf course will play and what the weather is likely to be for the 2020 Masters compared to what we see at the start of April each and every year. Mm. Um, Weather-wise, um, I've been digging into this this afternoon and... As I said, Billy's been giving me some information quite regularly. He mentioned a few weeks ago that they had a weekend um, where it absolutely hammered down with rain. And you can actually see that on some of the rainfall statistics for October. But I have to say, over the last... And I've I've checked to cover a couple of uh, weather... um, Weather... What would you call Websites, Steve. Services, websites. Yeah, no, we can no, use lots of... No, if you go to... No, no. Weather stations. I always use Thunderground for this. Um, you can basically pick what weather station you want in the area. So I've picked a couple in the um, Augusta... Um, or around Augusta National. And they're both kind of saying the same thing. Um, rain in October, 56 millimetres or 48 millimetres. And of that... It looks like the last 14 days, there hasn't been a great deal of precipitation. Mm. There was a hell of a lot in September, and this was what Billy was telling me. And what, you know, we're talking over 200 millimetres for September. Uh, In total across uh, October, 50 millimetres, and since the turn of the month, there's been no actual precipitation at all. Now, of course, this all comes back to is how long and how soft is the golf course going to play. Mm. Now, a lot of that will also um, come through in temperature. Now, of course, we're seeing forecasts now, 10-day forecasts. Uh, We're not seeing right now, we're recording this Thursday afternoon in the UK, we're not seeing forecasts that even stretch through the full four days of the tournament. But what we are seeing so far, and Barry, you mentioned this off mic, the temperatures look quite warm so far in, in the forecast. Thursday up to 26 degrees Celsius. Apologies for you guys um, in, in the States or Canada on Fahrenheit. That's th- 28 degrees Celsius on Friday. It's 3,000 degrees Fahrenheit, I believe. It seems quite warm. Yeah, it's 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 an awful lot warmer than... I'd... Are they playing this on Mercury? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's an awful lot warmer. It's in the 70s uh, in Fahrenheit. It's, a, it's yeah. a lot warmer than we have been, let's say... Uh, holding our breath in anticipation to hear what the week to 10 day forecast mm. um, out is going to be. So that's, 
it's interesting um, because a lot of the thoughts, let's say, I've had, and I think you guys as well, uh, have been hyper towards the extreme length players and that everybody else can just, you know, uh, you could just th- throw a line through them. But with, you know, these mid-20s temperatures you know, happening at the tournament, ball's going to fly pretty well. And it could also mean that if they had a week of that, it'll keep the ground, it'll help the ground dry out. So it won't be the the cold, wet and windy, you know, mid-December uh, west coast of Ireland conditions that I had, you know, had as the worst case scenario. It's it's certainly interesting. It could it could feel very like the April Masters. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't doesn't sound that dissimilar, really, does it? You know, if it's the high seventies, low eighties, mm. as you described, it's it's not going to be that different. Apart from the fact, clearly, the flowers um, that we see at the start of the year and the spring are not going to be about. But other than that, the course could play. Um, not dissimilar. Mm. Um, notwithstanding the mornings, I guess there's still going to be a bit more moisture around in the mornings, and uh, it's likely to be a little bit softer. Um, of course, we've still got the sub air system um, at Augusta, which is going to you know, allow the organisers to, to to manage the t- turf conditions as much as they reasonably can. But um, yeah, it could have been an awful lot worse, couldn't it? It could have been really wet, could have been really cold, could be really windy, but. Uh, it looks like it's going to be quite pleasant, which um, which probably does equalise the field a little bit. Um, otherwise, it could have just turned into a, a Bryson fest, which uh, is the way the market is kind of still suggesting it's going to go. But I thought we might see something, and this, and I mean, I've seen interviews from you know players that have played November and December golf round Augusta saying you know they they played it in you know stuff like 12, 14 degrees. Mm. The other thing I've noticed on this early forecast is that there isn't much differential really from the start of the morning right the way through the day. I mean, it's twenty two. Apparently, it's twenty two degrees Celsius at seven a.m. on the Thursday, and it just warms up to twenty six throughout the day. Mm. So it's not a scenario where you know it's going to be fifteen, sixteen degrees in the morning, and the afternoon starters are going to get a you know ten degrees more, with more of that you know the the longer ball flight. Yeah, I wish we could get that weather in November, lads. <laughs> cool. Yeah. Indeed. Well, I wish we could get on the golf course, but that's that's a completely different conversation. Let's let's um, not go down that path. <laughs> yeah, we won't go down that path. Um, wind as well. <sighs> It's a forecast. It's over. It's a week away. Um, they clearly will be playing this time next week. Um, but if you take this on, you know, it's at full value, it looks like Thursday light breezes. Friday, the strongest wind you're going to get is about 15 miles an hour. Now around Augusta, 15 miles an hour, with the way that they play with the undulations, the valleys, the trees, wind coming from all directions, that. That level of wind gets to the point where that starts to become an issue, especially if you've got no experience of the course. Mm. Um, so, you know, Friday looks like there might be some wind in play. And Saturday, it's early doors, and we're seeing only just a part of the day so far being forecast. That's looking like it could be 20 miles an hour gusts. So that starts to become even more of a factor. But anyway, we can discuss that more on Tuesday. Yeah. Now... I've got some points and some sort of facts and stuff we can run through. What I wanted to do for the listeners is talk to you two about 
from a betting perspective, what do you think punters and you know and DraftKings players who are listening need to be looking out for in terms of the golf course, how it plays? Um, do you think that course experience is vital? Um, do you necessarily think that short hitters can't win around here? And just throw it out to you two. So, Barry, over to you. You can start. Mm, what, do you, what do you think are the key the key facets to to be be a winner at Augusta? I, I think at this stage, it's about pulling together a lot of the things we've had over the last few years um, in our conversations about it. So uh, things like apex height. So you know you want your irons coming in from you know on a quite vertical drop to minimize how much that ball is going to be you know shooting forward on the green or let's say maximizes your predictability on where the ball will finish on the green so uh, if anybody has been kind of keeping an eye on gear setups for players over the last few days you'll have seen Mickelson talking about going into a let's not quite a game improver set of irons but a more forgiving set of irons that will help him launch the ball higher and with less spin and his idea is to get the ball coming down more vertically. So, you know, I think if you're taking that point as something that one of the game's most experienced guys is talking about, and, you know, he won't be the only one doing it, go to the flip of that and look at guys who have a very low ball flight. They're going to have a harder time dealing with Augusta because their ball's going to be shooting forward a bit more when it lands in the greens and is susceptible to the big swales and, um, let's say, bumps on these greens. Bumps is a terrible word for, for those greens, but... Contours. Con- thank you very much. The <laughs> uh, thesaurus. So uh, let's say somebody like a, like a Brandon Grace or an Abraham Answer, both very low ball flight hitters, and they're going to have to play that little bit better for what they do to be contending with somebody who has a very high iron uh, apex. So that's one key thing. I mean, I don't think you need to be particularly looking for somebody who's got like a 75% uh, driving accuracy because there's quite a bit of relative width in these fairways. And they effectively play a little bit wider because of the direction that the grass is mown. So the grain is towards the tee box. So the ball won't release as much when it actually hits the ground, which makes the effective width of the fairways uh, wider than they actually physically are. So driving accuracy is not uber important. You just don't want to be incredibly wild and hit, hitting punch outs from the trees. Yeah, um, yeah there's, there's, there's certainly there's scope to... Um recover isn't there if you, mm. you hit, a, hit a, a, a wide one it doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to be um, chopping out sideways you may be able to manufacture some kind of um, some kind of recovery shot it's interesting what you say about the way that the um, the, the grass is mown because um, it effectively makes it the fairways play as if they're softer than they actually are mm-hmm. yeah um, minimizes roll it does yeah and but also, equally that then makes them play um, longer so you know what's already a long track which um, I suspect it will from from tea to green I suspect it will be a little bit softer than it would ordinarily be um, in April um, so it's you know th- th- those two elements do make it play long anyway um, but uh, but yeah yeah um, I, I, I'm, I'm with you Barry I'm, I'm, I wouldn't be loading up um, on accuracy as being the most 
important factor, I don't think. No, and I, I think if you're really kind of burying into the nitty-gritty of how far guys drive the ball, I think looking at a stat such as carry distance versus driving distance might actually be a more rele- relevant one here in that you can see if you're if the, the guy you fancy does in fact hit the ball a reasonable distance uh, it through the air because somebody like a, a let's say an Abraham answer could could have a 310 driving distance but his carry distance could be 10 or 15 yards shorter than somebody else who has a 310 yard driving distance but their ball is descending from on a much more uh, steep angle and won't roll as far as answers. So just, I I think at this stage with Augusta, we we were so familiar with it. It's about trying to find those little nuances uh, to, to to help narrow down your selections and, and become more confident in your selections. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, for me, greens and regulation is probably the key stat of the, the whole lot. I think, hitting greens um, to give yourself an opportunity to uh, to make birdie around Augusta National is absolutely critical. I mean, it's an easy thing to say because if you're hitting greens where whichever course you play, clearly you're going to give yourself more chance um, of playing well, of, of compiling a decent score. Um, but that's accentuated even more Augusta National for me. And uh, if you combine in, I, know, I agree with you, Barry, um, apex, distance to apex is one that we tend to have picked out um, for for this and that's often a, fun- a function of players who hit the ball high and hard and uh, as you say you, you get in control over your approach shots then so they're landing on these perilous greens and uh, and and you know in a position where you can actually then um you know get a putt towards the towards the pin rather than the rather than struggling from 50 60 feet on these uh, these tricky dance floors um I, if you go, go through and there'll be a load of trends pieces out there and if you, you want some background um, on the kind of trends um, uh, check out the work that Dave Tyndall's done um, on his Twitter feed because he, he produces something similar each year which goes through the trends of Augusta National winners over the last few years and highlights the player that could or should theoretically fit based on um, how and what the winners have done here over over the past it doesn't tend to be quite as cut and dried and uh, as uh, formulaic as that uh, i think you need to apply a level of um knowledge and a level of uh, logic to to those kind of things but um you know certainly steve you mentioned um course history and players that have done well or at least played the, the track in the past and you know we could we'd all quote the fuzzy zeller um being the last debutant as the uh you know, last debutant to win at augusta national but even excluding that as a fact you will find that recent winners have got some kind of finish some kind of cut made at least at augusta national in recent years to suggest that they have played the course they have got some um reasonably positive um, experience of the track i think the most the worst most recent winner in terms of course history was patrick reed um and um i forget if i've not got it written down exactly what his previous finishes but i suspect it was something like 40 or 44 something like that yeah some of the rings, it was rings yeah i've got that here paul bear with me they were his best finish at augusta bear with me 
bear with me. I have it. Bearing slowly. It was 40th. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah. So, and there was him. Um, I think uh, Schwarzenegger finished thirtieth or something like that as well. So it was twenty seconds. Twenty. It was twenty seconds. Can you can you not read Wikipedia, Steve? Now, <laughs> Tiger Woods had won four times there. I know that much. Yeah, yeah. It's, you know, some some some. You don't have to have finished second or third or you know been been extremely close. But I think some positive no. looks at the the track and uh, you know, un- understanding what the technicalities of it will be a positive um the other factor which will be interesting this year is how recent form how current form affects players and how much of a determinant that is because you know ordinarily we'd be playing this in april players would be honing their game or sharpening their game over the first two or three months of the year to to get themselves in a position to to be peaking for for the first week of april um, and clearly, that's all completely on its head. Everyone's had to go through this kind of rearranged and um, rushed back end of the season, and you know the, the, the new season kicked in immediately after the, the previous one had finished. And some players have been playing, some haven't. And uh, you know, again, trends where you might look and say, well, everyone or pretty much everyone, I think Adam Scott's the exception, had um, had some really positive. Well, at least the top twenty finish in the last sort of eight weeks or so, heading into uh, an uh, an April Augusta that they subsequently won, um, and that holds for the, you know the last six, eight, ten years, whatever the number is. Um, how that changes this year with the fact that players' um, schedules have been turned on their heads, how they've um, had to adapt to the to the COVID situation. Some of the guys have had COVID and have had to sit out for a number of weeks. Um, it's, it throws some of those trends into uh, into question, and um, yeah, how that manifests this week will be um, be something to look at. I think we're also going to have a slightly different golf course this week mm. because of the time of year. They're going to actually overseed it, or it has been overseeded with perennial ryegrass. Right, and I'm going to push listeners uh, towards the No Laying Up podcast that was recorded, oh, I think it was released yesterday, actually, with Matty Kelly, mm-hmm. Mark Leishman's Mark Leishman's caddy. Um, fascinating, fascinating insight from Matty Kelly. Um, well worth a listen. Yeah. But he mentioned in that the fact that when you play Augusta, um, you do get this mix of ryegrass and Bermuda grass on the golf course. It's a perennial, it's actually a, the, the whole course is Bermuda, Bermuda grass based. Clearly the greens are A1 uh, pen bent grass. But at this time of year, they're having to put a lot more overseed of the ryegrass, both on the uh, the fairways and in the rough. Mm. So there's going to be slightly different fairway and rough conditions that they're used to in April. You're never getting an invite to Augusta, Steve. You know that. You keep calling it rough. It's the first cut. Come on. <laughs> first cut. Yeah. To be fair, they don't have rough at Augusta. The, no, no. The, I mean... Is, the, isn't it like 1.25 inches is the rough? Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, like it's not really. The, um, another, I did the, uh, listened to that podcast last night. And after, I mean, you, you, you know the course very well after all the years we've watched it. But after a couple of holes, I went, this is, this is not good. I need to visualize what I'm hearing. So fired up the Masters app and started, you know, looking through the holes as Maddie Kelly was talking through the, uh, the holes with Solly and um, Tron. And it, it was just fascinating. I was uh, completely engrossed. And, you know, 
always think that you're, you're you're looking at things critically or a golf course critically, but the factors that they were considering just way beyond uh, what I'd ordinarily think is <laughs> is required for taking on a golf course. Brilliant, brilliant listen, and I mean kind of puts anything we would do to to shame in terms of talking about the course itself other than in generalities. So highly recommend point yeah, you know, going to listen to that. Feeding back to what you said though about um height of apex and just a high approach shot ball fly. Mm-hmm. Matty mentioned as well. Because they, they said, oh well, you know you we you know you do hear that a fa- uh, that the the draw shape off the tee is an advantage what do you think and he said well theoretically it's an advantage he said but at the end of the day if you can hit the the ball high yeah it, you can hit it you can hit whatever shot shape you like he he he, he backed you up you know um, a high ball flight is absolutely essential for augusta mm-hmm. Distance to apex really, really important. You can see that statistically in my preview as well. Most, you know, the winners around here all have top third on tour distance to apexes. You know, it happens year in year out. Yeah, and that that's probably. I mean, this is one that you kind of came up with. Was it a couple of years ago, Steve? You really kind of honed in on this distance to apex, and I mean, th- that could be your first starting point about chopping the fields yeah. down if it's anybody in let's say the bottom half of distance to apex on the the pga tour stats uh section of the website you could probably put Eject. you could probably just yeah put a line through them and if they somehow win it then it's a complete zach johnson and 2007 anomaly and everybody will still be scratching their heads in 13 years time as to why somebody <laughs> that short won uh when there's so many prodigiously long players out there Nobody outside of the top 70 in terms of distance to apex have won the Masters since 2009. The the uh, the lowest ball flight is Jordan Spieth. Um, but even Tiger Woods last year was in the top 40 for distance to apex. I mean, and this is this it's not necessarily brute power. It's it's you know what at what point your uh, ball flight tops out from where you've actually hit the ball off the tee. And also approach shots. So yeah, um, high and handsome is what you need around Augusta. That is undoubted. Um, I've got various different information here. One of the things I find very, very interesting. It's a bit of a uh, a quick fact. Nobody outside the top twenty nine in the world has won the Masters since Angel Cabrera in two thousand and nine. And as we know, Cabrera was very much an Augusta national specialist. He ranked 69th in the world when he won it in 2009, Cabrera. Since then, nobody outside the top 29 in the world have won. Yeah, uh, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you, if you go and um, be as brutal as, as cutting the field down to the top 30, um, then you're going to get yourself, you know, particularly when you start applying some of these other factors as you said you know top third or top 70 in distance to apex um, take all the debutants out mm. um, you're starting to get to a point where you know players who've, who've got a, a some kind of reasonable finish there in the past you can quickly get down to a to a shortlist and the beauty of Augusta the beauty of the Masters over the last few years is generally these uh, trends these stats these facts have held water for the the, the subsequent year of the year that you're looking at, and it really does help you to uh, 
to get to a point where you can uh, you can make a more comfortable and confident prediction of the players that are actually going to go well in uh, in the forthcoming week. That could change with the time of year. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, but yeah, nothing's a given. Yeah, you know, in November is that really going to advantage shorter, lower ball flight hitters? You know, logically it just can't, can it? No, you know, no, if no, it no. is going to be cooler, if it is going to be softer turf conditions, it just it doesn't feel that way whatsoever. Yeah. It's it's kind of an anti um, open championship in the respect that with an open where it's you know, potentially coastal, linksy, um, you know, potentially windy that. A low ball flight would be absolutely perfect, and you, you're looking at the direct opposite for Augusta National, where you're saying, "Well, mm. you know, I, so, someone who hits it hard and hits it high is going to be the most likely fit for um, for, for getting around and uh, compiling the the kind of competitive score that's going to be up there on Sunday afternoon." You won't be surprised to hear that Jordan Spieth, who's co-leader in Houston, his price is being slashed as we speak. Yeah, what was the odds on there? Is he? <laughs> <laughs> he's favourite. He's up there with DeChambeau. No, he's not. He's a thirty-three to one shot. Um, I'm just that. That takes me as well. The Masters in recent times has really thrown up some value winners, mm. and it's so so easy to look at the top of a betting board and go, well, you know. Bryson DeChambeau at eight to one. Who's going to get close to him? Or it has to be John Rahm. Or you listen to these the prices of winners recently. I mean, even last year, Tiger Woods was a sixteen to one shot. Uh, Patrick Reed fifty five to one. Sergio Garcia forty five to one. Danny Willett sixty six to one. And bear in mind, all of these players were in the top 29 in the world rankings when the tournament was played, and they're all outside of 29 in, the, in, in their odds that they went off at, if, if, that, if that makes any sense. Yeah. Jordan Spieth in 2015, fair enough, Jordan Spieth was 12 to 1. But then we go Bubba Watson at 28, Adam Scott at 28, Bubba Watson the first time at 55s, and Charles Svartzel, you won't be surprised, he's the outsider of the lot, 2011, 90 to 1. I hate him so much for that. <laughs> I, I had the other four guys in the top five with four holes to go. <laughs> he, he birdies for finishing four holes. Oh, that was a magical finish. Uh, not, not so magical if you're in the position you're yeah, in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it was, it was pretty special. Um, uh, and, and, and another uh, unique way to torture a, gambling, a golf gambler. Mm. Now I haven't got the sheet in front of me, but Tiger Woods at sixteen to one. Where, what kind of, where would you think he would have been in the in the betting itself? What sit fifth, sixth, seventh yeah, favorite? No, but maybe maybe fifth, yeah, fourth or fifth. You'd have got a couple of guys that are. You'd in have the, had Rahm yeah, shorter, McElroy yeah. shorter, DJ shorter, JT yeah. maybe shorter. Yeah, in that kind of bracket. Capka. <laughs> By the time you've got the full market on uh, Monday, because you know, we're talking Thursday afternoon here and we're only just starting to see the bookies formulate their plans. So there's only two or three have um, already extended their each way places out to something sensible beyond the five yeah. that, that bog standard for the anti-post market. Um, and then we'll see which hands they play. Um, as we get towards, uh, well, maybe over the weekend, but certainly by Monday. Yeah. Um, and some will, some will go 10, 11 places um, and with particularly poor prices, and some will go 
um, five or six with fantastic prices and some will go for a nice blend in the middle maybe seven or eight with some uh, some attractive prices as well but certainly with the prices we're seeing at the moment um, are particularly unattractive um, as far as I'm concerned um, another thing another myth I want to blow up on the podcast is they say that you know you have to have experience around here to win well Charles Svartzel in 2011 Jordan Spieth in 2015 and Danny Willett in 2016 had only ever played Augusta in competition once mm. before they I think, won. Yeah, I think you need to have had a look at it to get a, get a feel. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah. you, you don't need to have played 25 times to, to no. be able to win that much, for sure. Personally, I would never back a, um, a Augusta rookie um, here. But undoubtedly, if you've had a run around here and you know you've you've made the cut, and even if it's like a twentieth or fortieth place finish, you're still in the ball game. If the ball, if mm. you if you shape a game fits. But you know, for for the outright winner, I, I get that. I understand that. In terms of trying to find a fit for someone who's capable of getting themselves into a, an each way finishing position at a long price, um, mm-hmm. I, I want you know. It's it'd be easy to get blinded by the the, the history and the the, mm-hmm. the fact that players need to have played Augusta National in the past, and you know some years it proves that the, you know the top eight, top ten, um, they've all played before. Some some years you'll get a debutant who comes in and um, you know not necessarily seriously contends, but finishes at a fourth or a fifth or a sixth, and um, you know produces a, a decent each way for return for you if yeah. you can have plucked him out before. Especially if you can pluck, yeah, especially was, if you can grab somebody at a, a hundred to one with like nine, ten places. You know, it's oh, in a short field as well. Yeah, that's, you know, it's fantastic. Your pet's paying twenty to one for the place. Obviously, you lose your win yeah. stake, but you know, other than that, it's you can have um, plenty of interest from from guys. I mean, like I'm not, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but you know, Marikawa is he's debutant, I think, this year, this or this time. Um, I mean, he's not yeah. going. He's going to be extremely short, but he's somebody you would think has a very good shade of being in the top 10, even though it's his first time round. Yeah. Mm. Well, don't forget, 2014, Jordan Spieth almost won it as a rookie, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. Uh, but that was the year Bubba won it. But another great example of what you guys are saying. In terms of a good each-way price, I'm talk- I was talking in terms of winner, as you said, but in terms of actual each-way money, Thomas Peters in 2017, 80-1, to 1, he finished in fourth spot on, on uh, Augusta National debut. So it can and does happen. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the flip side of this is that you get I think players. Cameron who... Smith did it as well. Mm. He's an interesting yeah. player, Cameron Smith. I think he's one that I'm going to have a serious look at in terms of if I can get to that kind of a hundred to one price point. Sorry, yeah. he came fifth in 2018. He had one appearance before that, but yes, it is possible to actually get, especially with ten places available each way. Course rookies can uh, can get into the each way spots. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting you mentioned um, Angel Cabrera. I mean, I'm not not talking about Cabrera in this same vein right now, but there were clearly players who can lift their game each and every year when they arrive here, who are often at a far longer price than perhaps they should be. Um, I mean, the one that uh, caught my eye just from the initial analysis that I did um, was Matt Kuchar, um, currently trading at three hundred and twenty. To win this, one hundred twenty-five to one each way. If you want to go to uh, one of the regular bookies right now, and I suspect that um, that will get pushed out a little bit more. Kuchar's not been playing some very particularly good golf recently. That much is evident from his recent finishes. Um, yeah. But 
if you look, he's got, what's it, I'm just counting up, one, two, three, four top eight finishes in his last eight Augusta appearances. That's 50%. Mm. So 50% of the time that he's teed it up at Augusta National in the last eight years, he has finished inside the top eight. Yeah, but no... And he's available... <laughs> So say knowing Kucher, you'd probably he'd finish like tied tenth and with six other players, and you'd you'd only get like a sixth of, a sixth of your expected fee for the week from him. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, you'd have had a run for your money, and, and assuming that he bogeyed the last, you'd have had something to rant and rave about on the uh, the podcast the following week. There's another guy at hundred to one that I think's game's going to suit around here perfectly, and he won on the PGA Tour for the first time a few week, weeks ago. Jason Kokrag, very long, very high, brilliant player on on uh, bent grass and also on cl- classical golf courses. They're the kind of players you want to be looking at. Um, did you say you had some trends you wanted to bring up, Paul? Well, only that I go, you know, through the things that you've listed in um, in your um, pointer preview, um, which, as you say, you, you're linked to from from this um, from this podcast. Podcast, yeah. Um, and the factors that you can tangibly um, pick out, so distance to apex, where you've mentioned the players inside the top. I think it was sixty-seven was the number, but if you he said like top, say top, top seventy, top, yeah, top seventy, top 70 yeah, on yeah. the tour. So you can you can just basically take that from the PGA Tour stats uh, website. Absolutely, yeah. And again, we're in this odd situation, aren't we, where we're at the start of a new season in yeah, terms yeah. of stats. Um, so uh, so take last uh, year as well. Yeah, last last four years probably a better better view yeah. of it. Yeah. Um, par four birdie or better is another stat that you've picked oh, yeah. out, which has been really quite strong over the last uh, last few years. Um, mm. World ranking top thirty, you know, again, it's rock solid, isn't it? Over the last ten years, you, you can't argue with that. Now, if someone in who's thirty fifth or fiftieth or whatever goes and wins the the Masters next week, then it blows that out of the water. And um, if it doesn't, then it's another tick in that box for for. Uh, you know, a particularly str- um, strong trend. Um, best finish players who finished in the top thirty, top forty previously, something like that. You know, I, I guess if you're picking that out as ha- having a positive look, a cut made at the very least at Augusta National in the past. Recent form, was, again, where do you, you you can probably cut it a little bit different this week. But if you said, well, you know, you want a player who's at least finished inside the top 20 in one of his previous starts in the last couple of months or so, then you're pick, you know, you're going to pluck out the players that um, at least flashed a little bit of form. Um, and then you've got you know, the basic stuff like uh, Greens and regulation. Uh, for me, again, that's one of the absolute key critical stats here, bogey avoidance. Performances on bent grass greens, again, when we put the predictor together for, for next week, we'll have bent grass green performance over the last five years. A classical course performance over the last five years as well. Do you factor in scrambling at all, Paul? I not. I, I'm, I'm personally, I'm so reliant on greens and regulation in this that I find that's the more dominant aspect to it. And um, clearly, if you're not hitting greens, you're going to have to be scrambling well. But I think it's more important to be hitting the greens in the first place than to be surviving and uh, and and recovering when you're missing them. Yeah, is, is my is my view. So the reason I bring it up is that uh, what Matty Kelly said on the podcast. He said, "Look, you can. It's the kind of place that if you're not on your A plus game and you're kind of knocking it about a bit, 
he said if you do have a good short game you can you can cover yourself yeah. cover your ass for a day or two at least anyway yeah. um get you towards the top of the leaderboard just, come the weekend just hang yeah. around make you know post that 70 or you know maybe sneak mm. a 69 you know 70 71 or something like that you just hang around on a day that you could have had a 75 or 76 and and be out of it it's just uh, that kind of got me to raise the question and I mean it's I remember, yeah, remember yeah, yeah. I mean and I, know, I, don't, I, I if you think back to when Molinari was uh, before Molinari <laughs> I mean I think we also almost need to have like a, a, a before Masters and after Masters with Molinari like, I was going to say Molly, Molly who yeah, I, I don't know who this golfer is the, the before before the moment his entire life changed and then after and ever, and ever <laughs> since then which is the 12th at Augusta but that Sunday, I mean, he was getting up and down from like uh, garbage cans, uh, to, you know, and porta potties way off the side of the green. It was absolutely phenomenal to watch. And you're just thinking, my God, he couldn't go through the whole round doing this. And as it happened, he couldn't. He, he, yeah, uh, got to, the, yeah. the 12th it's, got to him. Uh, it's, you're putting yourself under too much pressure and too much stress mm. to continue to, 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 to make the score that you need to make, um, you know, at the back end of um, Augusta National, as you get into the kind of the final third of the course, you've got some scoring opportunities. And if you're constantly chasing because you're you're missing greens, you're yeah. scrambling mm-hmm. all the way through the, the, the that's round. where you need to be making hay, not yeah, scrambling for par. Yeah, you, yeah. you can't be doing it. You, you know, you almost need to get your game into a you know tip-top position by the time that you hit those scoring holes, and then make hay. Mm, you know, that's true. produce a produce a four or five under finish over the last yeah. six or eight holes. And How many players have you seen like one under, two under, going through Amen Corner, and all of a sudden you look at the end of the round, they're at six or seven under. Yeah, absolutely. They've absolutely yeah. you know they've taken the last third of the round and they've scored really heavily. Yeah, I, mean, I remember the year that. Um, we, you know, the world and his wife, me included, was on uh, Angel Cabrera, and he was again after a couple of rounds, he was he was nowhere really, and then I'm I'm sure he birdied something like the last five holes on the trot on Saturday to get himself right into uh, contention, mm. um, and then you know the, the rest was history. He didn't quite make it, but um, you know got himself into that position where he quite reasonably could have won that golf tournament. It was last year, wasn't it, when Cantley hit the front. Was it, was it last year? I think it was. It feels yeah, it yeah. feels so long ago. Sorry, it's a year, one point five or yeah, one point yeah, eight years yeah. ago. But he hit the front, and all the rest of the guys were still the chasing pack at that time. Were on the front nine, and you knew he needed to go and post and you know keep getting the you know birdies and eagles. Uh, obviously, he didn't. Um, but there's also the fact that you have to not panic at that stage and and start backing everybody <laughs> or laying everybody because they have those scoring holes to come on the Sunday. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's for me. That's part of the charm of the the tournament and the track mm. is that you've you've got this finish where you know there are great opportunities there. Even on the Sunday, all the way up to the uh, to to the seventeenth, the or the sixteenth rather rather the par three. Yeah, it's it's a birdie, or it's even you know a, a very outside holding one opportunity with the position they put the pin in, and nothing's a given given until your player's got to that hole and. Uh, you know, they could make a one or they could make a five. It's uh, you know, it's that kind of track, and that's, that's a massive part of the excitement for me is the, the, the way the track actually sets up. Yeah, I mean, thirteen. Um, going back to your point, no, I was just going to say thirteen through sixteen are just so crucial. 
You just, I mean, Absolutely. whatever, whatever about like Amen Corner, you know, your your ten, eleven, twelve. If you can get through them at what level parts, it's about it's about avoiding disaster there, right? Let's all let's all be honest about that. But thirteen through sixteen, if you're not mm-hmm. going through that stretch in two under par minimum every day, you're probably losing shots in the field. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I won't. I, I can't quote it because I haven't got the number in front of me. But the um, I've, I've quoted in the past the variance of players scoring, um, and those who've con- contended seriously contended, and those who've been also rans. The thirteenth and the fifteenth holes are absolutely critical. The, the variance between a player's performance is so heavily pivoted on their um, score on those two holes over the course of the four days, um, and. You know, again, you, you you could sit well, sit down and think, well, that's that's going to push me towards um, par five scoring as being the absolutely most critical element to this, but it's not because there are a, a plethora, as you've pulled out in the preview piece, Steve, of different angles and and trends and stats that uh, kind of all um, go into the melting pot together to produce the, uh, the the final answer, or hopefully produce the final answer. The last since twenty fourteen. The par four birdie or better is a really interesting stat. I know you mentioned it a little few minutes ago. Um, so Bubba Watson ranked arriving at Augusta National that season fifth for par four birdie or better. And I'll just run through. Spieth was first. Willett was second, even though you had to kind of look at his stats because he wasn't a full PGA to remember. But anyway, uh, Garcia was seventh. Patrick Reed was seventh. And then last year with Tiger Woods, not the season he won, because don't forget they have split seasons, but the previous season when he won at Eastlake that season, he'd ranked in the top 11 for par 4 birdie or better. So, right now, par 4 birdie or better ranks, yeah? I'll take 11 as the cutoff. So for last season, so we're talking up until the Tour Championship, Fleetwood at 9, DeChambeau at 8, Reed at 7, Justin Thomas 6, Hatton at 4, Scotty Scheffler at three, Dustin Johnson two, Webb Simpson number one. And if you're looking at this embryonic season, 10 Tyrrell Hatton, 11 Brooks, JT, DeChambeau, Xander and Ryan Palmer. Who knows, eh? The other thing yeah. is, you we were talking about greens and regulation and I keep trackers, Yeah. Yeah. And I've just gone back to previous years on my greens and regulation tracker. Um, and basically I track, you know, within the field how players have been doing with their greens and regulation for eight weeks. And I used to do it for 10 weeks prior to the tournament. If I go back to uh, Danny Willett in 2016, he ranked sixth in my in the field for greens and regulation turning up at the event. Uh Pat, uh, Sergio Garcia ranked second the next year. There's an ab- not, there is an abnormality with um, Patrick Reed, although Reed I think had finished like I don't know something like greens regulation of seventh or something two outings before, so he was finding some greens. And then last year, Tiger Woods in the same tracker ranked second. So will it sixth? Garcia second, Woods second. So I've just pulled off my tracker this afternoon just to see where we're standing right now this doesn't include of course the Houston Open which is ongoing so these numbers will change but right now if I go through my greens and regulation tracker for the last eight weeks Bubba Watson ranks number one Tony Finau ranks number two 
John Ram, number three, Sung J M, number four, and then we've got Eric Van Ruen and Zach Johnson ranking tied for fifth. Um, I'm also seeing Dustin Johnson in the top ten with Lee Westwood and Matty Wallace, believe it or not. Mm. There you go. Mm. Yes. Plenty to Maybe Zach on. Johnson's going to win again. <laughs> I mean, Matt, Matt, Matt Wallace could be that kind of uh, guy who grabs, gets him, gets himself a top 10 and gets you that each way place. At the moment, he's 150 mm. to 1 in most places. So if you can get one of those combined with the top 10, you know. Undoubtedly, Matty Wallace, I mean, Paul follows him week in, week out, um, and he's always a ridiculously short price on the European tour for obvious reasons. But you just look at his GIR numbers, 8th, 23rd, 4th at that um, event they played up at St Andrews a few weeks ago, 25th last time out in Italy. He is hitting a decent number of greens at the moment. Yeah, he is. Yeah, he's been playing some good stuff. He scuppered himself last year, didn't he? Because he won the par three competition, and then he uh, won't make that mistake again this year. No, he, <laughs> <laughs> but no, they can't. They've, sadly, they've got some the par three. So, um, yeah, I always like that as a little warm up um, to uh, to you know to to pass the time on the day before. But uh, sadly, not happening this year. There is, are some of those players that I mentioned, like EVR, like Im, like Zach Johnson, who are playing Lucas Glover, who are playing in this week's Houston mm. Open. So some of those are likely to fall out of that top 10. Um, the likes of Bryson, Xander and Colin Morikawa are just on the very fringes of that top 10 right now. Was it you that had so that? So it interesting. To... Pardon? Sorry, go, go finish off there. <laughs> just... It'll just be interesting to see um, what that kind of GIR tracker looks like on Monday morning when I update yeah. it. Sorry to sorry to half cut across there. It was just in relate. You were mentioning that there's a you know obviously there's a bunch of guys playing this week and there's a lot that aren't taking it off. Was it you that highlighted that um, correlation between not playing the week before and uh, the week before the Masters and success in the Masters, or was it somewhere else I read it? I don't see too many people that do play Houston and win. That's that is factual. I mean, clearly Woods hadn't. He played the world match play. We're talking about back in April. Reed had played his last outing at the world match play. Um, Garcia had done exactly the same, as had Danny Willett. The last one that had played the week before was Jordan Spieth, and he finished second at the Houston Open, and then won the uh, Masters at twelve to one. It's an interesting tournament like that. That um, it. it it feels that guys want to take the week off before. I don't know if it's a mental preparation thing because in general it's the first major of the year and they don't want to be mm. spending any mental energy beforehand. But it seems for the other majors there's less of an intent to avoid the week before and the guys almost want so. to be tuning themselves up by playing the week before at that yeah. stage. And it may, may, perhaps that's a, because it's that stage of the season in April, it's early doors and they haven't quite hit their, let's say, top motoring gear for golf at that stage or Mickelson and his Mickelson and his pomp always played the week before and often won before didn't he I mean mm. I mean when he won the last time here in 20, 2010 he'd finished 35th in Houston Charles Schwarzl had played in Houston uh, he'd finished 30th in 2011 but backing up what you were saying Watson Scott Watson Willett Garcia Reed and Woods 
had not played the week before in the warm-up tournament. Mm. I mean, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be. It wouldn't completely put me off anybody if they were. If you know, if they are playing this week, what you do want to see is that signs of decent life in their games. So that if you see them posting a thirtieth or fortieth, that's that's fine for me. You know, if I'm considering a player, I'm not gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna write somebody off because they're playing this week. No, 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 no. It's. Um... You don't, yeah. You don't necessarily have to be coming in with absolute flying form, but mm. um, yeah, that's just a little sign of life there. Um, going back you, to where, the, sorry, you go on, Paul. No, I was going to say, just going back to this, um, those the factors trend. that we talked through a second ago. Yeah, I, if I've loaded absolutely every one of the factors that we've discussed so far into uh, into the field, it does come back to me with three names. Um, now, the top two are pretty straightforward. It's Bryson DeChambeau and Dustin Johnson, um, who are around about 8-1 to one and 12-1, to one respectively. Um, and I don't think it would take um, a great deal of time for anyone who vaguely knows golf to, to make a justification for either of those two players. You know, Dustin's the, the world number one at the moment, and Bryson's uh, the, the favourite to win the golf tournament. And based on what we've seen recently, you can understand why people think that his game does fit um, Augusta National for this season. The third player is a little bit more. Um, I wouldn't say left field because um, you, you can probably uh, get get to him quite quickly, um, but um, a little bit longer and also fits into this price point that we talked earlier between that kind of twenty eight to one up to fifty five to one bracket. Um, anyone want to hazard a guess? I'll give you. I'll give you one guess each as to who that. You go. You go first. Be. You go first, Steve. <laughs> I want one less player to have to choose from. <laughs> so he's he's between twenty. What, 20 what was your cut off in? What was your cut off in terms? Of, it was top thirty in the world. Top thirty in the world. Um, so yeah, uh, par four birdie, better performance, and top thirty for the, se- the season just finished. Top seventy apex, and then um, basic stuff like a, a top twenty recently, a, a decent enough finish here in the past. Um, high greens and regulation. I think I. A classical I, bent I have my guess. Avoidance. Go on then. I'm go- one, one of you throw I'm a go please. Tyrrell Hatton. Is it- well, I'd have said Hatton or T4 Tony. <laughs> Tony Finau. Tony Finau is the player who ticks every single box from all of the stat pieces that, or all of the stats that feature in your preview piece and mm. also the kind of subjective stuff that I've added um, myself. Isn't that Bryson, Dustin I, I, Johnson, T- yeah. Tony Finau. Isn't And I read him out second in this GIR track. Yeah. Mm. Isn't that the problem with Tony Take, though? He always ticks all these boxes and he still doesn't bloody win. That's So what, what price? Now, t- tenth and fifth from his two attempts at Augusta National. Thirty-five to one in the kind of pre the anti-post yeah. market. What, what yeah, price is acceptable? Point. What price? We've had this conversation many times, haven't we, gentlemen? It's I know. Like, would you do you back Tony Finau in the three M Open when he's sixteen to one, no. or do you back him in a major because he's got some fantastic major performances when he's at thirty-three or thirty-five? At this one? stage, I mean, I said I think I said it a few weeks ago. I'm pretty much I'm probably going to auto bet Tony Finau because I feel like he's virtually a lock to get a place if I'm getting 10 places. Yep. So if mm-hmm. I can get 33 to 1, 10 places on Tony Fino, I'm putting a chunk on it. Yep. Mm. 
statistically, that would suggest to be the right thing to do, Barry. With last last four outings, fifth, seventeenth, eighth, eleventh. So two of those last four, he's been inside the top eight. Yeah, I, I, tenth it's, and fifth. It's, it's, yeah. it's it feels like it's close to a free punt. You know, um, not, it's not free, but it's it feels as confident as you can be in somebody getting a place. Like I feel more confident saying. Tony Fina will top 10, then Rory McIlroy will top 10. I mean, how messed up is that? Yeah. But that's, I think that's because yeah. Rory has more variance in his game. It, I, I, there is more variance. That's exactly the right word. I mean, mm. there's, there's more variance there where he could win the golf tournament, which I suspect he's got a better chance of winning mm-hmm. the Masters than Tony Finau. But if you were to pay, pick the average finishing position or likely finishing position, um, Tony's probably going to be um, getting a, an average better position out of this golf tournament, I think. He didn't play. He didn't play too badly last year at August, did he? No. On a broken ankle, or a, yeah. after dislocating his ankle. Mm. Oh, yeah, it was the year before. Oh, it was it the year before? Sorry, so. yeah, yeah. Yeah, but even well, so, this yeah. is the point. Yeah, it, two, two. Yeah, you're talking 2018, Barry. He finished tenth, mm. and then last year, second out, and he's finished fifth. Tied fifth. Yeah. Would suggest would suggest that his game's quite well um, suited to Augusta National. Though. Yeah, if you can smash the ball miles and hit it way up in the air, yeah. And 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 the fact that Augusta seems to take away a little bit of the putting advantage that the supreme putters have over the regular Joe Soap with the putter. Um, I I wonder if that's just because you know it, it's probably it's he's pro- also a very he's also got a very sharp short game. Yeah, 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 he yeah, has, hasn't yeah. he? So it's just it's the putting, and his putting does look a little bit better. It's still he's still got those wobbles, you know. But uh, I get it's going to happen through seventy two holes. Um, Look, I, I honestly, if I yep. can get thirty-three to one, ten places, I'm in. Mm. It's a tempter. Serious. The tempter. other thing with Tony is there aren't many driving areas at Augusta where there's water in play. Mm. I, always, <laughs> I hate Tony because he, he does like finding the water off the tee. But um, H- yeah, H2 he, Tony. he kind of plays to his strengths, doesn't it? Mm. Interesting, Paul. Interesting one to. To ponder over the weekend. I the one the one thing against Hatton and lots of people are talking about him quite right is I don't know if he did he fall out of your analysis on the on the um, ball flight height. Yeah. Or was it something to do with the fact that he hadn't had a decent finish there? Because Hatton must Hatton's another decent player that just jumps out you at a reasonable price, doesn't he? Yeah, I, Apex is just outside his best finish. The three attempts that he's yeah. had at Augusta missed cut 44th, 56th last year. So. Patrick Reed didn't have a great one either. You know, great set of results at Augusta before he won. I think the Hatton for me has kind of just surprised me uh, probably more than a lot of other golfers this year. And I, I'm not, I'm just not expecting him to perform at the level he keeps performing at. And it's like it's it's like he's performing above EV, if that makes any sense. It's my own personal EV uh, level that I've put on him, but he just keeps mm. jumping ahead of it and jumping ahead of it and jumping ahead of it. So I I did take a I took him the other week at uh, I think I got him at thirty three to one. I just said I'm not I don't think his price is going to go out from here based on the way he's playing. Yeah. So I kind of fancy him to have a decent shot at the Masters. So I took a little took a little bit of thirty three mm. to one. Mm. Yeah, no, I can see why. I can see why. I, for the full disclosure, the only bet I've had so far is Bubba Watson. And I bet Bubba, before the Masters was cancelled the first time, 
or, uh, or uh, postponed um, and I have topped up on him more recently when he's shown some form over the last couple of outings seventh and fourth isn't he over the last couple of uh, couple of outings and you've backed up playing. nicely Steve with your greens and regulation yeah. stats because really well we we jumped on games. we jumped on him two outings ago didn't we 66 to one we got on him at that mm. CJ Cup yep which I thought was an outlandish price and then everyone caught up that he was actually playing some decent stuff and he he went off. Was it like longest price was thirty threes at the Zozo, mm-hmm. and he yeah. still and he finished fourth there as well. Yeah. I mean, T to Green last three outings, Bubba Watson, U.S. Open of all places, sixth for T to Green. We all predicted missed <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly, and, and that's what a lot. That's what brought me on to Bubba. We said, didn't we? Bubba finished thirty first in the U.S. Open. What is going on? Mm. Um, he then first for T to Green at the CJ Cup when we were on him. He finished seventh. And then last time out of the Zozo, fifth for tee to green. And he's just absolutely murdering the ball off the tee and hitting it straight and hitting yep. tons and tons of greens in regulation, which is exactly what you've got to do at Augusta. And he knows those greens in absolute intimate detail. Mm. Indeed. So, yeah. I think his... The, 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 the one I've backed pre-event is... Is Patrick Reed? I managed to get him at thirty-five to one about two months ago. That'll work. Yeah. Mm. The, the, the thing that maybe there's just a thought about Bubba and why he matches up quite well at Augusta. His putting style mm-hmm. is to die the ball into the hole, and so well like Sergio's. Kind, yeah, kind of. And so mm. when you're dying the ball into the hole around Augusta, you're not going to have as many of these five, six, seven footers that some of the aggressive putters can leave themselves with if they miss their uh, initial putt. Mm. And so, yes, he has to play a bit more break, but he's not giving him, maybe he's reducing his chances of three putting with his, you know, by having that dying the ball in the whole putting style. To go along with that, you've got to look at Lee Westwood's record around here. Westwood's record around Augusta is fabulous. And his putting style is is exactly what you're describing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. He's not making yeah. too many crazy mistakes and running it six, seven foot past. Yeah, whisper it, but he's actually been putting really quite well on the European Tour when I've been been watching him. Mm. I think Westwood might have a run in him as well. There's a f- there's a few at triple digits I like the look of. He'd be nice. You'd, you'd feel happy enough with the Westwood AD, ah, maybe ninety to one with ten places. You'd be pretty. Well, he's a hundred to one right now. Yeah, but that's you're only getting in, in one spot. Yeah, I, I can't see those sliding out to ten places though. I mean, but if you could get ninety to one with ten places, you'd be feeling pretty smug. And he sits uh, in he sits in tied tenth on that GIR tracker at the moment. You know, new conditions. I mean, he could, he could he could play around there blindfolded, couldn't he, Lee West? Yeah, yeah. Simple as that. I mean, and, and and we've kept saying this for week after week, month after month. Westwood wants to get an automatic spot in that Ryder Cup team, and he needs to stay in the top fifty in the world to start next season. So he knows that all the WGCs, all the majors are covered. And is he literally fiftieth at the moment, or forty ninth? He's he's hanging on with his fingernails, isn't he? He's there or thereabouts. Mm. So he's going to be fully, fully motivated, I tell you. Like a top 10 here would go a long, be a nice help. A long, long way. Well, yeah, that basically, that that, that gets him in that top 50 spot for Christmas, doesn't it? Mm. 
mean, who, who would you, who would you rather be on right now? Say eighty to one or sixty six to one. Westwood versus Mickelson. Mickelson shorter. Oh, God, not even a, not even a thought process. You'd take Westwood. Yeah, yeah. That's an insulting price on Mickelson, isn't it? I mean, who would you take a hundred to one? Would you take Gary Woodland, who's injured and has got an awful record here, or Lee Westwood? Yeah, it's mad. Yeah. Or Joachim Neiman at eighty to one. See, now there, there's another super low ball fly player. I think he, he's just going to have to play that. He's got less room for errors than than somebody who hits the ball high uh, on in, in Augusta. So it w- it wouldn't be for me. Exactly. Any more points to raise, or should we leave it at that? No, I think there's plenty to chew on there, isn't there? And um, I just well, further to your um, preview that's on the site at the moment, there are also the regular stats that we ordinarily produce on a Monday. Um, they're all available right now. So you've got the um, history stats for players who are in the field this week for Augusta National going back to 2002. Uh, current form stats, of course, are excluding what's happening over in... Houston at the moment um, and first round leader stats so it's all there on the site golfbettingsystem.co.uk right now so um, all available from the home page I'm staring at it yeah. right now yeah so mm. if you want to do some early research over the weekend then um, fill your boots and they are all free which is absolutely ridiculous because uh, I, I, I don't know if the listeners actually understand how much work Paul and Steve put in <laughs> Mm. It's, uh, it, that's it's, why Paul gets up at 5am I know exactly to do all the you know, that's why you lie in because you let him do all the work right <laughs> lie in yeah 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 <laughs> I'm lying in mate yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's all good but yes uh, as ever it's, it's exciting times the, you do get that you, you get a for me personally uh, I don't even get it for the open this is the event that I get by far the most excited about year mm. and year out and the fact that we've got now two within five months is absolutely fantastic. Yes. Hopefully hopefully, some fans come along to the second one as well. Mm, mm. Some patrons, rather. I, I, it's, yeah, it's funny. I haven't, in any of the tournaments so far, really hasn't bothered me that the fans aren't there. I actually love getting to see the, the full golf course and the pros having to play the full golf course. They're not getting these like barriers of fans that are stopping their balls or trampling down the the rough and and so on i think for augusta we'll miss the roars a bit on the weekend in particular i I feel like this would be the one where i'm like damn i wouldn't mind a few fans and and maybe that's combined with the fact that the fans don't seem to do those uh stupid shouts at augusta you know those mashed potatoes and whatnot because they know if they do they're just going to get booted out and they're never coming back in again and so and so with that, that with that you get this really I'm not saying sanitized and clean, but a very respectful fan interaction with the players, you know, cheers, applause, and it's like, oh, that's, that's kind of nice. There's no weird shit, there's no weird crap going on coming out. That all said, I am very interested to see the entire course on display, or as much as they'll show us with the cameras, without the, the, the fans there, or patrons. I'm going to end this with one question to both of you. Does Bryson DeChambeau win the 2020 Masters? Well, oh. he, he might. He might come second to Bubba. Um, that, that's. Um, <laughs> you know, I think he'll come reasonably close, Steve. But yeah, I, I, ultimately, I'm not sure he's going to get quite close enough to Bubba Watson to uh, to actually win. 
yeah, I Battery. I think it'll be an absolute roller coaster for Bryson. I think he'll be in and out of contention. He'll blitz some stuff. He'll make a couple. He'll make a double or a few bogeys. I think he'll ultimately fall just short, but it'll be just wild entertainment because yeah. for, based on what uh, some of the points you've seen online about what he's, how far he's driving it and where he can put it to on certain holes and what trouble he can avoid, like it's just going to be... It could be, it could be head blowing. This could break the game, and be, <laughs> I, it, I mean, it could, it could, it could be a landmark moment in golf, and uh, it should have been the U.S. Open, but I think it might be the Masters. This could be the one that breaks it, and if he does, if he does do a proper job in it, even if he finishes maybe second, but somebody has to play out of their skin to do it, it, this could be the thing that tips them into saying, "Guys, in April, you're playing an Augusta Masters ball, and that's it." Um, but then again, there's you know there's probably a lot of politics that goes on between uh, the Masters, the RNA, and the USGA. So I, I I think it's gonna be a wild. I don't think Bryson wins, but it comes very close. The establishing the winner though, that's that's gonna have to come in through the next few days and yeah, next few days exactly. Yeah. Um, thank you very much for your time, gentlemen. It's been a interesting conversation as ever that we have when we come to these mast uh, these major previews. So uh, well worth doing. I, th- I thank you for your time. Cheers. Yep. Look forward to uh, talking again on Tuesday when we've all uh, made our decisions over the weekend. Yeah, and hopefully we uh, hopefully have, have have a couple of runners and riders in the, uh, mm. the the two tournaments that are ongoing at the moment. I will finish by saying. Um, as I say at the top of the show, please, if you can spare the time, give us a five-star review over the next few days before Tuesday. Uh, I will read them out on the Masters Tips uh, podcast. Thank you for your time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And we'll see you again next week for the 2020 Masters. Goodbye. <laughs>